The scripture this morning is from the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 16 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? he inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you that you are here with us. And Lord, we pray that this morning you would let us be sensitive to the moving of your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us ears to hear you, the living word, speaking to us. Father, we thank you that you have called us into this place and you've set this day apart. And we ask that we would know that we've met with you, the living God, this day. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in India, many of whom have already worshipped you today. We pray for their ongoing safety, Lord, as many of those pastors have been threatened recently. Some have actually been persecuted for preaching the good news. We pray that your kingdom would continue to go forth in that place. And we ask your provision and your care over those who are serving. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Brooklyn who are meeting right now and some later this day. We ask that you would bless their worship services, and we thank you for the work they are doing in that great city. May your light continue to shine, and may you continue to bring many people to yourself. So, Lord Jesus, we come now, we humble ourselves before you, and we ask that you would have your way in our lives, and that you would glorify only your name this morning. For it's in your name we pray, amen. We are in this series that we are calling, When Jesus Says Amen, wherein we're looking at emphatic statements Jesus made to his disciples. He begins these emphatic statements with the Greek word amen, and it tells his disciples and it tells us modern readers that he is about to say something that demands our attention. And so today our amen is found in verse 23 of Matthew 19 where Jesus says, amen, or truly, for I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. You could restate what Jesus says this way, it is practically impossible to be doing well financially and get into the kingdom. That is a hard statement that Jesus makes. When he said his amen statement to his disciples, they were shocked because it was so difficult to hear. It's as difficult as hearing my paraphrase there that it's practically impossible 
to be doing well financially and get into the kingdom. And when we read that difficult saying, we're, I know, immediately tempted to kind of glance sideways in the room and think about somebody who makes more than you do or has more than you do and say, okay, well, this is really about them, all right? We know all the rich people sit on this side, so it's about them. You guys are off the hook. This passage doesn't let us do this. It it doesn't let us off the hook in that regard because we are called not to think in comparisons to one another, but also to think globally where we look out around the world and we consider what people have around the world and then we look at ourselves and what we see is that this passage actually is for all of us. Now, the Greek word for hard does not mean never. It doesn't mean completely impossible. What it means is truly with great difficulty, very hard. That's why I paraphrase it as practically, practically impossible to be doing very well financially and get into the kingdom. So what we want to do is actually take the posture of this applies to every single one of us in this room because we are all rich by the world's standards. Now, you've probably heard of the method that works fairly well to catch a monkey, and today people will do it just to prove the point because they don't typically catch them the way they used to, but they'd lay down a blanket and they'd put something like a jar with a small opening just large enough where the monkey can get its hand through the opening to get something inside that it really wants, a piece of fruit, a shiny coin, something that it desires. And so when the monkey would put its fist in the jar, sometimes in the coconut, it grabs onto that thing, and now its fist is too large to get out, and they would have that thing tied down, and they'd come in, scoop the monkey up in the blanket because the monkey refuses to let go. Now, if you take that alongside what Jesus says here about the rich young man in Matthew 19, I think there's an obvious meaning here because the man in this story had great possessions. He was a successful individual. He was a leader viewed by people as having leadership skills and attributes about him. He would have been considered a very eligible bachelor if he were single, He would have had a lot of people that wanted to be around him because of his success, and those people who wanted to be around him were actually probably hoping that some of his wealth would find its way towards them. One of the Gospels tells us that Jesus' heart actually went out to this man. He was a winsome individual, successful, wealthy, somebody that would have stood out as This is a person the Lord is obviously blessed well, blessed with character, blessed with personality, blessed with giftedness, you know, spiritually and otherwise, blessed financially. And yet, he was like the monkey who had his hand in the jar. He had a grip on his possessions, and unless he was prepared to loosen his grip and leave them behind, he couldn't be free. And what we have here, I believe, is actually one of the saddest stories you read in the Gospels, 
Because as you go through all of the Gospels, what you'll see is that this is the only time ever that Jesus issued a call for somebody to come and follow me, and the person said no. Every other time, Jesus called people to follow him. They left whatever they had. They dropped it all, and they followed him regularly. This is the one account in all of the Gospels where Jesus issues a call, come follow me, and the person says no. And what that should tell us is the great power of money, wealth, possessions. It literally can jam the call of God in our lives if we don't watch out. It has great power, and there's great warning, which is why Jesus says, I tell you, it is very hard for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus gave this young man a very straightforward command. You know, it's interesting because if he had gone to the Pharisees or others, you would imagine that they would have piled on some regulations, different things that, if okay, if you really want to enter the kingdom, here's all you need to do. And there's a whole lot of things that get stacked up. Jesus does just the opposite. He gives a very straightforward and simple command to this young guy. Basically, he says this. It's very action-oriented. Go, sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. That's the command. Now, this is where I am supposed to let us all feel a little bit better by saying, okay, now, you know, Jesus doesn't make this a universal command to everyone everywhere, so we don't all have to go sell all of our possessions, give it to the poor, and follow him. And we go, whew, I can't do that. And here's why. Because this week, as I was thinking about that, and it's like, okay, if I'm the person going, I am so glad Jesus doesn't demand that of me, it hit me. I'm the very kind of person that Jesus would say this to. I'm the one. If we're going, I am so glad that this isn't a universal command to sell everything and follow Jesus. We have to understand that we are the very people Jesus would say this to. He didn't say this to everyone. He said it to this young man because he knew that wealth and stuff was this young man's God. He had a lot, or you could say it had him. And so if we were hoping that, oh, good, we don't have to do this, we probably more than everyone else need to consider what Jesus is saying in this passage. And Jesus says it in a very interesting way, I believe. Some translations will say, if you want to be perfect, and I put up the word complete here because that's what the Greek word gets at. Perfect is a perfectly fine translation, but it means perfect in the sense of being whole, perfect in the sense of not lacking and being complete. So it's a way of saying God wants His people to be complete, totally, perfectly dedicated to His service. Not a half-and-half half kind of people where we have one foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world, and we oscillate back and forth between that. You see, in order to be complete, you must be empty. 
In order to have everything, you must have nothing. In order to be fully signed up for God's service, you must be signed off from everything else. Jesus knew this man's possessions had him. He had a grip on it and wouldn't let go. And the point is we all have something like that in our lives. It may very well be wealth and possessions and our stuff, but it's up to each and every one of us to examine our hearts and see what is it that is holding us back where we're kind of giving Jesus the stiff arm of, I'll follow you, but not that radically. Let me be a partial follower. Let me, let me, let me somewhat do that. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's not how it works. If you want to be complete, you must fully follow me. And so this aspect of being complete is actually quite important because many people, even Christians, live with this nagging sensation of, why am I not satisfied in life? Why do I feel discontent or incomplete in various ways? Or in the words of Bono, why have I still not found what I'm looking for? You see, Jesus knew the man's longing. And I believe the man's question is a genuine one. It's honest. What good thing must I do to have eternal life? And so what Jesus is doing is he's trying to help him. And and maybe Jesus won't call us to sell everything, give to the poor, and follow him. Maybe he won't call you to go to a country in another you know, on another continent where you just, oh, Lord, don't call me there. Maybe he won't. There's a good chance he won't. But are you refusing to let him call you and to be Lord over your life in everything? Some have said this man wanted a good teacher. He didn't want a Lord. See, Jesus regularly demands total devotion from those who will follow him. He doesn't give us the luxury of giving up our false gods a little over time over the years. Okay, well, at least you're at least that idol's becoming a little smaller and I'm becoming bigger. No, no. He says, "You need to follow me. That must go. And anything that would stand in the way of full-hearted devotion surrender to the Lord is an idol in our lives." He does not call us to slight obedience. He does not call us to partial commitment. You can read earlier in the book of Matthew in chapter 8, he says, if family is your God, then you must put me first even in front of family. In this passage, wealth, possessions, was this man's God. And Jesus hit him on the point where his idol was, are you willing to truly follow me? C.S. Lewis says it this way in Mere Christianity. He says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self, 
all the desires which you think are innocent as well as the ones you think are wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. And the emphasis in Jesus' call to this man, it wasn't just, you know, we get really fixated on the riches, and that is important, but the emphasis is on the follow me. Can I be what I need to be in your life? And so this question of how to be complete is front and center in this text today. And we're going to focus on that and focus on the amen statement because after Easter, we're actually going to go through the whole book of Mark together, take a long time going through that wonderful gospel. And you'll see the story is going to come up again, so we'll actually get to it much later, and we can go through the story in a more detailed sense. But this morning, focusing on Jesus' amen and the crux of what he's talking about is this concept of how do you be complete? Why is it so hard for people with a lot of stuff to enter the kingdom. What he's getting at is, you know, this question, why is it so hard for people like us with many things to enter the kingdom? And if you think about it, you know why. Because money and stuff promises us so much. These are just four things, and you could list many. It will promise you joy. You want to be happy in life? Just make a little more. Get that promotion Earn that bonus, because if you have a little bit more, you'll be a little more happy. It promises security. You've saved up for the rainy day. The worst can come. You're set. Even if God doesn't show up in that circumstance, you've got it covered, because you've saved up. Money promises you security in that regard. Money promises you relationship. You want to be liked? Have more. This past week, I was reading about Rupert Grint. You know who Rupert is? Um, Ron Weasley from the Harry Potter series. And in this interview, it was so sad because he was saying, I don't know who my real friends are. I don't know if I actually have one real friend. Because you see, Rupert has made millions, billions of money off the Harry Potter series by playing Ron Weasley. He has so much, and so many people are kind of hangers honors around him hoping that some of that wealth will flow out to them. And he's like, I don't even know if I have one honest relationship in my life. Money will promise you that, though. It'll promise you satisfaction. It'll promise you contentment. And what Jesus is challenging us with, as he challenged the young man, was, I will be, because only I can be, your true source of joy, security, relationship, satisfaction, contentment. I am the only one who can make you complete. So I think it's fair to say that the text of the rich young ruler makes us say, who is our real master in life? And and let me illustrate it this way. If you've been through the master's program at Stonebridge, it's a three-year program, and they just started it up again here recently. There's a wonderful book that they use in this called Halftime. It's by Bob Buford. And I know some of you are going to be annoyed that I skipped that quote. What it was was simply, money makes a great servant but a terrible master. You know, so for Jesus was challenging the young man, let me be your master. 
Because if anything else is, it will enslave you. But to illustrate this concept of what is your true you know, heart's desire, what, what really gives you your source of identity and purpose and contentment, what is your true master, let me illustrate it from this halftime by Bob Buford. If you know the story of Bob, he's a guy that I think relates quite well to the young man here in Matthew chapter 19 because Bob was only 44 years old when he had reached what most would consider the apex of success in America. You see, he started a small cable company, and he built that small cable company into literally an empire. And so at 44 years of age, he's driving fancy cars, he's splitting his time between several luxury homes around the world, he could travel anywhere he wanted, whenever he wanted. But he found himself, like so many people, not complete. There was still something lacking in his life. It's like the people who get to the top of Mount Everest, and rather being aware of the great view, they're more aware of the wind and the cold than anything else. He had reached the apex and was empty. And what Buford writes, he says, all my life, I had been great at developing strategic plans for business. Now I realized I needed a plan for me. I spread out my jumbled dreams and desires, list of perceived strengths and weaknesses, things to do, things to abandon. It was a quagmire of both complementary and conflicting ambitions. You ever feel that way? What should I do now, I wondered. Where should I invest my talents, time, and treasure? What are the values that give me give purpose to my life? What is the overarching vision that shapes me? Who am I and where am I going? Very important questions. And it was at this time that he was going through this that God brought into Bob's life a man by the name of Mike Cammie. And Mike was this renowned uh, consultant. He actually came to Bob and he said, Bob, I've got a question for you as we're talking. What's in the box? And Bob's like, I don't, I don't know what you mean. And so Cammie told him this whole story. Uh, and if you live through the 80s, you'll remember this. Because Cammie had been called in by Coca-Cola to consult with them. And he asked them this question. And the Coca-Cola executive said, okay, we know what's in our box. And it led them to, in 1985, switch from the Coca-Cola formula to what was known as New Coke. New Coke was marketed like crazy. You can go look up these things. It also has become a case study in what not to do as a business because it literally almost sunk Coca-Cola. And so they're floundering with this whole new Coke thing, and the Coke executives call Mike in, and he said, here's your problem. I can't tell you what to do, but you put the wrong thing in the box when you came up with this new Coke thing. And so it led the guys to really look at what's in the box for us as a company, and they came up with another word that was in the box, led them to rebrand Coke as Coca-Cola Classic, and within seven years, new Coke was a thing of the past. So Mike told Bob that story and kind of let it sink in about what Bob is in the box for you. What defines you? What's most important? What drives your life? And this is what Mike told him. He said, Bob, I've been listening to you now for a couple of hours, and you've told me a lot about your passions and interests. And so I can tell you one of two things that's in the box for you. 
I can tell that for you, it's either money or it's Jesus Christ. And I can tell you the strategic implications of both of those things, but you have to tell me which one is really in the box. And if you can't, here's what's going to happen. You're going to oscillate back and forth between these two values the rest of your life, and you're going to be confused. So, Bob, what's in the box? Bob decided, well, if I have to choose, I guess I'll put Jesus in the box. And so then Mike Cammie, who is interesting, he was an atheist, but he said, now here's what that means, Bob, and rolled out to him, if Jesus is really in the box for you and money isn't, then here's how you need to restructure your life. And Bob, years later, he wrote these words in this book. He said, to put Christ in the box, I found is actually a paradox. It is to break down the walls of the box and allow the power and grace of his life to invade every aspect of your own life. It follows the same wonderfully inverted logic as Christ's ancient assertion that it is in giving that one receives. That it's in our weakness we are made strong, and it's in dying that we are born to richer life. I chose to make Christ my primary loyalty. I still had loyalties to my wife, to work, to friends and projects, but now, now Christ became the center of all of that, and that gave my life balance and wholeness. Bob's saying it in a different way of what Jesus was offering the rich young man here, how to find completeness. So I want to do something together with us. I want to ask you, very simply, what's in your box? What's in your box? And what you'll find is in the pockets of the chairs in front of you, if you're sitting on the front row, you'll have to look back and grab one. You'll see a little blue card with a nice little box, and it says, what's in your box? I'd like to ask everyone to take it. Just I know some of you, we tell you to do something, you refuse. Just please play along. <laughs> please. <laughs> I'm begging you. <laughs> take this, and, and here's what we're going to do. There's no name on here. This is between you and the Lord, completely between you and the Lord. You don't have to share it with your kids. You don't have to share it with your spouse. You don't have to share it with your neighbor. This is between you and the Lord. And so before you write what's on the box, let me just give you some ways to think about it. What has you? What's the mainspring? What's the driving force of your life? What's the ruling consideration that trumps everything else? You see, if it's money and possessions, you know, if, you're, if you're a person who believes, if I just have a little bit more, then life will be a little bit better, then that tells you money's in the box for you. Maybe it's approval. Are you a person who thinks, if I could just better please the people around me, now my life will be a little bit better? If that's how you think, then approval, there's a good chance that's in the box for you. Maybe it's order and control, and you're one of the people who think, if I can just get my life organized... If I can get through my to-do list, empty my inbox, then I'll be at peace. Order and control. Or maybe it's just that if the household would just be quiet for an hour, serenity now, maybe order and control is in the box for you. Maybe it's knowledge. 
And you're like, if I can just learn a little bit more, because that will let me do something I can't do now. It'll give me a promotion. It'll help me in some way. Knowledge is in the box for you. Maybe it's power. If you feel like I can, if I can just get the upper hand in this relationship or in this situation in the office, maybe power is the thing that's in the box for you. We all have something. And as you're filling this out, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you a very embarrassing story so that hopefully it will incent you to be honest as well. Years ago, my wife Anne worked for Wachovia. Well, she worked for, you know, she worked for several banks. You know, Wachovia became Wells and all that kind of stuff. And this is my embarrassing story, not hers, because Anne was very successful, and we lived off of my salary, and hers was all extra. And so what we had done was we had taken her salary and maxed out her 401k and actually put in not just the matching max, but the full amount that you can put into that. And we watched that, th- well, I watched that thing over the years grow. And, and I got to the point where I was literally checking that thing almost every single day. And she hadn't been with Wells Fargo that long, and already that thing was well over $200,000. And I know for some of you, you're like, oh, that's not that much. For us, that's a lot. And I remember following that thing, and it was the sickness that I had of, I don't know why, I'd go and check it. I'd go and check it. And I remember Ann asked me one day, you know, should we, should we diversify? Because it was all in Wells. And I remember my response. Wells isn't like Enron. There's so many regulations surrounding that. We don't have to worry about that. And it was not that long afterwards that Wells had their big fiasco, and that over 200000 went down to $8,000. That was painful. That's what finally woke me up to this thing has got a hold of your heart, Rick. This thing, you know... Why were you so obsessed with this? Are you wanting to retire early? Are you thinking about vacationing? As one of my seminary friends said, I know I'll never play the lottery because God would never let me win because he knows I'd go and be lazy the rest of my life. You know, it was like, what was my heart getting wrapped around? And, I, and it hit me. This had got a hold of me. This was in the box for me. And it was driving a whole lot of my life. Not completely badly. There was a lot of good, but that thing had a hold on me. And I tell you what, as painful as it was for that to go so low, it was the best thing in the world that ever happened in that regard. Because the Lord woke me up and let me say, Lord, I am so, I'm such an idiot. Forgive me for seeking security, satisfaction, happiness, purpose in anything other than you. So, what's in your box? And and here's the sad thing. That thing I found can creep back in regularly if you don't watch it. So for me, it's not like just a one and done. Here, Lord, I follow you. It's every day I have to lay down my life and say, Lord, whatever you want. I give to you. So what we're going to do today is something a little bit differently as we do the offering. We're actually going to come forward. And I know that many of you don't 
give by writing hand checks. You know, you give online and that kind of thing. That's okay. You should at least have either a keeping in touch form or you now have one of these blue cards of what's in the box. And I believe that the Lord gave us the gift of tithes and offerings all the way back from ancient times because He knows that giving is one of the best ways to break the power of money and its stronghold over our lives. So what we're going to do today is as we give, and you know when we give our tithes and offerings, it's not just something we do, it's actually an act of worship. And maybe you haven't heard this before, but as you give to the Lord, here's what you're doing. You're saying, Lord, I simply give back to you what you already own, and I symbolically place my life in your hands. And that's what we're going to do this morning. You know, maybe you don't like what's written in the box. Let placing that in the plates, because what we're going to do is the middle sections here uh, come down this way, drop them in the box, go back out, and then return to your seat that way. Same thing with the outside areas. You'll see things up front come down the middle and go back around. Let it be an act of worship where here's what you're doing. You don't like what's in there, and you say, Lord, I surrender this to you. And maybe you're having a hard time with that. Maybe you're simply saying, Lord, I need help because this has got me. Maybe you wrote Jesus on there, and that's great. Let it be an act of worship where you once again say, Lord, help me to always live with you as the vision of all of my life. And if we, if we took a little more time, I'd make this in a fuller way, but Jesus has the right to demand everything from us. You know why? Because He gave everything he had so that we could be his. You see, Jesus loved you and me enough that he gave up the wealth and exaltation of heaven to become humiliated in the incarnation. He lived a perfectly righteous life for you, and then he died a death on the cross for you. And then when you have faith in him, he sends his spirit freely into your life. The Lord constantly, He has once for all given everything He has, but He is constantly giving to us. As Lord, He has the right to demand everything of us. It's our privilege this morning, my friends, to cast off false gods and give our whole heart to Him. It's our privilege to give our lives to the one who gave His life for us. So I'm going to pray, we're going to sing a song, and as that song's playing, just come forward. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, honestly, this is a very hard passage, and what you say to the rich young ruler is hard for us to take, because Lord, we admit you've given us a lot. We pray that we would be a people who follow you so readily that we would leave anything behind if you were to call us to that. Lord, we give you our tithes and our offerings now, asking that by faith we would place our trust in you a little more fully today. Lord, show us how you are the one who can make us complete. In your name we pray, amen.